Welcome to That Shit Show, a podcast about overcoming trauma. I'm Emma Castle. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to the show, Harry Whelan. Harry is a CX capability and transformation manager, and we are not really sure what that is. So, Harry, uh, what is that? Yeah, so thank you for having me, firstly. Um, So I work in culture change. So we drive the culture change within the organisation to be, you know, customer-centric and drive process improvements um, and trying to make the experiences better for customers. So, yeah, and I I drive that internally through our um, employee experience work that we do. Cool, cool, cool. But that is not how we met. We met at AIM in Melbourne, um, I think about five or six years ago. So Harry used to be an event manager and like still obviously has those skills. And um, so when I met Harry, he was just basically the bell of the ball. Everybody loves Harry. So (laughs) he's kind of extremely well known in the events industry and extremely well loved. Uh, but today we're going to talk about something that did actually happen at AIM at this convention that we met at um, back when I used to be an editor. And um, yeah, and it was completely life-changing for Harry and came completely out of the blue. So Harry, can you tell me a little bit about what happened um, on that strange day um, that you were just, you know, going about your normal job? What happened? Yeah, so look, at the time, um, I was I was an event manager um, working for a big corporate and um, I was attending as a hosted buyer and um, as part of the, the program, we uh, get to visit a few different uh, venues throughout Melbourne and, uh, you know, this, this particular morning was, I believe it was Monday morning and we were heading out and there was multiple tours, I guess, that were kind of going out to different venues and... Um, it was nice to kind of catch up with some old colleagues that I hadn't seen at the same time and um, conveniently had somebody that I hadn't seen in a long time as well on my tour. But um, so, yeah, we kicked off the day, the morning, um, quite early, uh, going on these tours and there were all these tour buses that were waiting, um, you know, to to take us to all these different amazing venues across Melbourne. And so that morning we jumped on our tour buses and look, they were all running late. Um, ours especially, I think we were one of the last buses to leave. And it was probably about, I think it was about 14 people like, you know, that were on our kind of tour and our, um, and doing the, the bus tour with us and, and our host as well. And so anyway, so jumped on the bus and I was sitting, what was it? Two seats behind the, the bus driver and the, the host was sitting in front of me right behind the driver. Um, and to my left, I, actually, I was catching up with that colleague that I mentioned that I hadn't seen in a while and I was having a conversation with them. And I just re- recall having a conversation with him and, and then I had a complete blackout. I actually have no recollection of what happened up until when I was just sitting up against the wall um, and then looking at, you know, this this accident that had happened um, and I, I, I don't even recall, like I said, what had happened. And, you know, I later found out that I'd obviously hit my head quite severely and um, just had complete amnesia and have no recollection of the physical accident itself. And so, you know, having the, um, you know, sitting up against that wall was just a very scary reality of that something had happened. And I was, I, I don't think I had even processed that. So, 
you know, so look, I guess, you know, when, when I look at it, like what we had had was a bus accident, you know, I was staring at a bus that had driven into a tram bridge and I can't even explain the scene that I guess I could see. And, you know, it was severe because a lot of people were even trapped on the bus. I was fortunate that, you know, somebody had told me that I was able to walk off the bus. But again, I don't remember any of that. But, you know, I, the memory that I had was that I, I remember putting up my hand to somebody that was on my right-hand side and I can't even remember who it was um, and I can't remember their face, but I just remember putting up my hand and then putting out their hand to me and, and just having that comfort in that moment of what had unfolded and what was unfolding in front of me um, because I think I felt, I felt very scared looking at, you know, this big severe accident that had just happened in front of us. And I think, like I said, like it's almost like waking up out of a dream or, you know, kind of still feeling like you're in a dream and what's actually happened and you have to kind of pinch yourself. And, and, and I think that for me, having that comfort of putting up my hand to somebody and feeling them and just knowing that everything's going to be okay and that it, this had happened, um, yeah, was, was quite a, uh, you know, just a, a really scary reality of, you know, what had unfolded that day. And, yeah, and look, you know, there's, there's obviously lots of things that happened after that, but, but, you know, on that day we simply were just going on a tour and our bus um, only, I think it was like five minutes after departing from where we had been picked up from, crashed into a tram bridge on Montague Street and, you know, six of us were severely injured as well as some of the other passengers on the bus and, yeah, it, it changed my life. It changed my life from that day moving forward. Right. So I was there. I was there at AIM when this happened and we were all sitting at a lunch, um, like all the other people who were attending this conference. Um, in my case, I was there as media. And I just remember that we'd been told there'd been an accident and uh, but no one had any idea how severe this accident was and um, that some of the buses were running late. So there was like this lunch was kind of weird because like half the people were missing, like some of the tables were sort of empty and it was through the course of that day that we found out that this accident had actually been really bad. So um, the, the scene that you were sitting at at that time, there were emergency services, there were police, um, the bus was actually 2.8 metres high and the tram bridge was two metres high. So we're talking about almost a metre of like missed clearance there. And so, um, yeah, so uh, like as someone who just happened to be there on the day when this happened, um, there was a lot of confusion around what, what had actually happened and who was involved. Like everyone was really worried about like had anyone been killed? Um, and so at that point, so Harry's sort of, got amnesia like you can't remember the uh, actual accident but um then I think you were taken to hospital is that right yeah so I you know I was like I said I was sitting up against the wall and and like I said I told I recalled that memory that I had in that moment in time and then I don't know how I was transported I don't recall that at all I don't have any recollection of that um and then I guess the next memory you know where I feel like I can recall it was that I was in emergency and I had all these doctors and all these people around me and you know and 
I guess, you know, you, you start to kind of look at yourself and you're, you know, you're looking at your body and there's blood all over my shirt. And, um, and like I said, I'd seen the scene in front of me, um, you know, which I guess kind of, I knew that I, at this point in time, I was a part of this severe accident. Um, and, you know, I had, I, I can't even recall how long I was in emergency for. And, um, I just remember people coming and going and doctors, um, you know, looking at me and, and I, I recall as well that, you know, I had three doctors trying to make a decision on whether or not I would need to be intubated because I'd hit my, like I said, I'd hit my head really badly and I'd also hit my neck, um, which was giving me, uh, you know, um, breathing issues and, and I guess they were concerned that it might block my airway and so that's the reason why they were looking to intubate me and I was very adamant about, you know, can we please make sure that that is the last thing that we we look to do? Because I think the idea of being intubated for somebody that's never been, you know, in a severe accident like to, to that degree was quite scary. Like the idea of being put in a coma um, just scared me. I was already really scared that day. And that just, I guess, kind of added that extra layer of being really scared on my own. And um, I remember the doctor's... I guess kind of taking a moment to say, okay, well, we'll we'll look at you over the next few hours and, and we'll assess. And I was just lucky that um, you know, obviously I was starting to get a little bit better, um, breathing was, you know, a little bit easier. And then they made the decision that I would then move into ICU, into the intensive care unit, um, where I'd be monitored uh, you know, for the next three days. And um, and yeah, so Look, it was. It felt like the longest day of my life, and it, it's. You know, I was there for you know quite a period of time. I was there for nearly a week, and during that time, I I had multiple operations. Um, what were your injuries, Harry? Like, what what had actually happened to you? Yeah, so um, I mentioned that I'd hit my head pretty badly. Um, so I. Um, had amnesia um, as a result of that. I had broken a broken collarbone. I had broken ribs. I had broken teeth. Um, my ear was torn from my face. Um, yeah, and and look, I also had glass that was you know um, kind of that had fallen or kind of gone into my back, and so I've got scarring all over my back. I I, I had the the deep lacerations um, and the cuts on my my neck. Um, and on my face, um, which are pretty bad as well and required me to get plastic surgery. Um, so, yeah, I was a little bit bruised and battered. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you recall being in pain? Like, do you remember there being pain or were you just so freaked out that it was kind of a bit of an out-of-body experience? Look, I think, you know, um, when I had first gone into emergency, as you can appreciate, you know, you're on, I don't even know what they, they gave me when I first arrived and when I was travelling to the hospital, but whatever, you know, that, that would have been would have, I guess, kind of kept my pain at bay. Um, but it, it was probably the, the days to follow where the pain really kicked in. And, you know, at this point in time, like I'm on, you know, I'm on morphine, I'm on some really strong painkillers. Um because my body was just aching from all of this pain, you know, and that I had had from all the different injuries that I had. So, you know, even, um, 
getting up was just didn't happen, I believe, for a good few days because I just couldn't move um, and I was bedridden for quite a period of time as well. So, and I was very fortunate that, you know, I didn't have any family, um, you know, living in Melbourne and, you know, the, the company that I was working for at the time actually flew my mother down and my mother was able to help me and she visited me every day when I was in hospital um, you know, the, the day after the accident. And so that was an absolute godsend because trying to even, you know, um, you know, wash, you know, wash yourself and kind of get dressed and things like that, you know, in the days to follow um, was quite hard. So I was lucky that I guess that I, you know, although I was in pain um, and, and kind of quite tender, I, I had the support of, you know, obviously the health practitioners there and as well as my mum. So, yeah. And were a lot of people trying to get in touch with you? Because I remember no one really knew what had happened to you guys. And I know everyone was really, really worried. Um, I, you have a lot of friends and we all just, we didn't know if you're okay, basically. So do you remember like having pe- tons of people trying to call you or trying to get in touch with you through your like colleagues or whatever? Yeah. So, um, I couldn't speak very well um, because I had obviously hit my throat pretty bad and I was very, I could barely speak. Um, So, you know, I I do recall getting text messages and phone calls and I was fortunate that I had, you know, my manager, my direct manager that was actually based in Melbourne and just conveniently down in Melbourne. And so I guess that meant that I had the support of him you know, kind of supporting me and also kind of reaching out to those people on my behalf. Mm. Um, you know, I even remember that somebody, you know, I can't remember, somebody somehow got in contact with my mom, and, you know, so it, it was good that I had the support network around me that, you know, were able to kind of just let people know that, you know, yes, I was in this, in this bus accident and that, you know, um, you know, that I was okay. And so, yes, there was an absolute massive outpour of support from, you know, my industry friends and my industry colleagues um, and, you know, my workplace. It was, yeah, it was, it was, it was great to have the support of all those people around me and, you know, obviously a very difficult time. Um, You know, I remember getting messages um, on LinkedIn and, and hearing from people that I didn't even know, just showing, you know, just sending me messages of, you know, support and, and love Um, and I found that really difficult if I'm being honest, I actually really struggled when I got a lot of those messages and especially when I got like later in the months to follow, like I got messages from some of the other people that were in the bus accident that I didn't even know. And I remember reading those messages and I just couldn't process them. Um, you know, those people in, in, especially and, um, yeah, but look, you know, during that time, like I said, I was very fortunate that I had enough people around me that were able to reach out to other people on my behalf and just let them know and keep them updated on that, you know, I was okay and, and kind of how I was progressing in, in, you know, in the healing process. So, yeah. So you're in hospital in Melbourne, you're a big old mess there for a little while, and but then you're well enough to go home. So you go home, do you go back to work? What happens then? Yeah, so I 
um, after I was released from hospital after being there for about, I think it was about a week, um, I remained in Melbourne for another couple of weeks because I still had specialist appointments that I was going to and things like that. Um, and again, like I was lucky that I had my mum there as well to help me, you know, go to these appointments. And yes, and then yes, I, I eventually was able to leave Melbourne and I, I went home and, um, you know, and again, the, you know, uh, I had more specialist appointments when I came home and things like that. And um, I was lucky that I had a very supportive, you know, um, you know, workplace that I was working for that, you know, were doing everything they could to make sure that I was okay. Um, and that meant, you know, that working from home um, was something that was available to me. And I remember, I think it was probably about a month that I didn't, you know, um, work uh, you know, because I'm obviously in and out of appointments and things like that and, you know, um, but eventually I, I started to do limited hours um, working from home off my laptop um, and, you know, that was for, uh, that felt like months on end that I was, you know, just working from home and, and kind of slowly increasing, you know, time as I was, you know, kind of going back into the workplace. But that was a long period of time. Um, and I think that, and, you know, I look at the transition of returning back to work and, you know, like I finally started to go back into the office, I think in the three to six month mark. Um, and, you know, I, I actually remember just breaking down, I think on the first day that I got back into the office because I was so overwhelmed by this, you know, experience of being back in the office and it was hard it was a hard reality of of you know everything that I had been through up until that point and you know I also remember that you know during that time you know that I had an event that I was working on at the time which is one of our biggest corporate family days and you know I wasn't able to finish working on that project and that event because I was obviously in this accident um, and again, I was just very fortunate that I had an amazing colleague that stepped in and was able to project manage that on my behalf, you know, and also my team while I was, you know, obviously taking some time to heal. But, you know, yes, I did eventually, you know, transition back to work and it was hard. Like it was, it was really hard to transition back to that. But I think that, you know, I kept a bit of a brave face on when I was going back and I... I, I felt like I was a bit of a battler when I was going back, but I, I felt like I needed to push through and I needed to get back to work as soon as I could um, and, and just, I guess, kind of, you know, get back into it and do what I do best, you know, which is creating events and, and having fun and being creative and doing those things. So, yeah. Right. But I remember you saying that you actually couldn't get back onto a bus for a long time. Like, um, how did you get to work? Yeah, so I I was really scared to get on any mode of transport. Um, and, you know, even returning when I did start to go back to work for the, for the few hours that I did go into the office, um, I was catching Ubers to and from work. So I, I did that, again, for months on end um, because I just wasn't ready to face um, driving, first of all, and then also being on any... Um, kind of public transport and especially buses and coaches. Yeah, fair enough. So, okay, so you've sort of made it back to work. Your injuries, I guess, are starting to heal. Like you probably still have quite a lot of aches and pains still and, and scars. 
but how are you feeling emotionally at this point? Like, uh, you know, because like, it feels like you, there was this huge drama. There was a lot of attention. Um, you know, you're in a lot of pain. And then those things sort of start to ease and die down and, and things start to go back ostensibly to normal. But are you going back to normal at this point or uh, how are you feeling in the midst of all that? So, yeah, so I, you know, had returned back to work and, I think at this point in time, for the most part, I was back to working regular hours. And um, I should have mentioned as well that throughout this whole process that I was, you know, seeing a psychologist to help me to work through, you know, the amnesia and and I guess kind of the accident itself and the injuries that I had. And, um, you know, I was was going through through that as well um, throughout this whole time, which is, you know, know, really good for me because I needed it. But... You know, working in events, as, as, as you know, anybody that works in the industry can appreciate, it's a really stressful job. And I was also managing a team and I was managing some pretty big events at, that, at this point in time, you know. And um, I can recall just falling in a heap one day at work and I just broke down. I broke down because I had, I felt like I had nothing left to give. I exhausted every ounce of energy that I had left. And I think that that goes back to when I was saying that I was putting on, a, I think, a brave face and trying to make, you know, that make it as out that I was, that I was okay when really I was actually suffering in silence. I was, you know, starting to become depressed. I was losing my self-confidence. I was starting to distance myself from from my from my friends and yeah I was really struggling at this point and um, I I like I said I, I fell in a heap and I had to take some time off work again um, and like I said at this point in time I'm, I'm back at work I think pretty much full time and I just wasn't I think I just got so overwhelmed by everything um, that it just caught up with me mm-hmm. and I had to take some time off and I think I took another few weeks off um, just to recuperate and remove myself from work and, you know, just heal and just spend some time just, you know, on my own and, and just, you know, yeah, feel better about everything. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing is going on during this, like you, you mentioned to me that, you know, there was a bit of pressure on you to actually take legal action because Obviously, this terrible accident's happened. It's happened while you're during work time um, and it was due to negligence of the driver of the bus. And so um, can you tell me a little bit about the pressure you felt to kind of take action and whether you even wanted to take action and how that all kind of played out? Because, like, you're feeling crap at the moment. Like, you're probably not wanting to really do anything much beyond just take care of yourself. So how did the whole legal side of things play out? Um, so from a, I guess, a legal perspective, you know, um, I was fortunate, like I said, that I was working for, you know, a big company and, and they, you know, supported me through, you know, workers' compensation. And so I had, you know, a return to work, um, person that was looking after me and making sure that I had everything that I needed, um, and, and helping me through the transition back to work, um, but there was also a couple of other people in, in our bus accident as well that ran these small businesses and 
you know, I became close to one of these people who's now become a really good friend of mine um, who was also severely injured and, you know, she had mentioned to me that she was, you know, really struggling and her business was struggling as a result of having been in this accident. And, and look, you know, like I said, I was fortunate that I had the support of my employer and I was able to, you know, still, you know, um, be paid during this time and, 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 and eventually return back to work. Um, but, you know, this, this friend of mine had said to me, you know, this is something that you, that you should look to do. Like, you know, you should sue this, you know, you know, sue the bus company over what's happened. You know, this is like, this is something that, you know, you need to do because if anything happens to you in the future, like, you know, you, you should think about these things. And at the time I just remember thinking, well, I've got the support of my employer. I don't need to, you know, I didn't feel like I needed to worry about this. And, um, and I get, look, I gave it a lot of thought and it was a really hard process because the idea of, you know, going through, you know, medico legal appointments, you know, and kind of, you know, having people ask you really personal questions about this accident and, and constantly reliving it when you have to go to these appointments to justify, you know, kind of what's happened um, was something that I just didn't feel like I was, you know, ready to do. But anyway, look, I gave it some thought, you know, in the weeks following that that conversation that I'd had with her and and I knew that she was obviously progressing in what, you know, with her legal case and and I, I finally made a decision that I was going to pursue it and then I, um, you know, reached out to, to the same lawyers and I remember receiving the paperwork and I just remember reading through the paperwork and just thinking, oh, my God, I just am not ready to do this. I'm not ready to fight this battle um, and kind of take this on as well. I'm just not in the headspace. And, and so, look, I decided to not do it and I put it off for, you know, I think it was at least six to 12 months that I put off even looking at pursuing it, doing that. And again, you know, obviously had this beautiful friend that, you know, was constantly on my back saying that I needed, you know, that I, that I should do this and that I, you know, to get some closure and things like that. And look, I did eventually decide to pursue that and, and obviously was able to kind of, you know, um, resolve that, you know, with, with the, um, you know, the bus company and whatever. And, but I, you know, I will say that, you know, with everything that was going on at the time and how I was feeling, it just added that extra layer of, you know, um, just constantly surfacing the accident um, and, and having to see these practitioners that I guess, you know, uh, are looking at it from a legal perspective and, and asking, you know, at times quite invasive questions and, you know, and it's it was just, it felt like it was a constant reminder. So, I, I you know, I would say that that process and going through the legal, um, you know, process was, was not easy. And, and I guess it's something that, you know, I was glad that when it had finally finalised and it was finished, um, that again, it felt like it was another part of that process of getting some closure and and kind of moving on with my life. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it was just re-traumatising you every time you had to kind of go back and go through all these details. But like, it's then something else happened, right? Then a journalist got in touch with you. Is that, what? how did that happen? Yeah. it's. I feel like there's just so many different parts of this, this, 
you know, story, you know, with things that unfolded over the course of, I think it was like five years up until now. And, you know, um, again, you know, that lovely friend that I had made that was in the accident with me had, you know, had a, a journalist had actually reached out to her and was having some conversations with her. Um, because again, the other thing that was happening parallel to all these things that were going on was that the bus driver obviously was, you know, um, going through the court process of, you know, being charged for negligent driving as well as a series of other um, serious charges. And, you know, prior to the journalist reaching out, the driver was actually found guilty of these charges and was actually given a sentence of, what was it, over five years of being imprisoned and going into the jail system and he ended up going to jail. And I think, you know, it was, although it was hard because I constantly saw it in the media and, you know, we had, you know, I'd see it in, a, in an article or something would pop up and I'd hear about it. There was something about it that just didn't feel right. Um, and I think that that's probably because at this point in time, I think it was probably about a year or so after. And like I said, I was going through my own emotions and, and kind of journey with the healing process. But something also just didn't feel right about the fact that this man had gone to jail for what was an accident. And I, like just going back, you know, and, and when I was saying that my friend, somebody had reached out to her, this particular journalist had a point of view that he felt, he wanted to understand what we as people that were passengers in this accident felt and how we felt about what had happened to the bus driver. And look, I felt very strongly that I didn't think that that was the right decision that that should have been made. And it just, I just couldn't sleep at night knowing that there was this man that had had this accident, you know, um, you know, had, you know, been put in jail. And I think that probably for me, if I put my own self in his shoes, I think, okay, yes, he was a, a bus driver and he was a professional, but I also think, you know, it could have been, you know, you and me, you know, we hired a, a, a truck, you know, we're moving house in, in Melbourne or wherever we are and, and you know, where we, for whatever reason, like miss a sign or miss something um, and we find ourselves driving into this tram bridge as well. And, it, you know, that, that particular bridge is, is known and it, I think it's constantly hit once a week. And so with all of this stuff in my mind, I... I joined forces, I guess, with, you know, the other person that was in the accident with me and we started to liaise and talk to the journalist about our point of view and gave some commentary around how we felt and were able to tell a little bit more about our story and, and you know, and that we didn't support the charges that, you know, or, you know, the, the fact that he'd gone to jail um, and, you know, I guess we felt like what could we do to support and help this man, um, you know, to, to get an appeal. Yeah, right. And I'd also like to point out that this guy was from out of town. So the driver wasn't actually from Melbourne. I think he was from um, somewhere outside of Ballarat. He was from Ballarat. So he wasn't a kind of Melbourne local. And so um, it, as much as this bridge was definitely a known risk, um, he, it may not have been known to him. Um, and so he's probably, you know, um, not familiar, as familiar with the Melbourne roads. But um, okay, so this guy's court like case goes to appeal. And so then what happens? 
So just to, I guess, kind of go back just a little bit before that had the appeal had happened. Um, so I think I mentioned that, you know, we had spoken to this journalist, you know, a couple of times and, and, you know, we obviously had that first initial conversation um, and, you know, some of the, 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 the commentary that we had given, you know, about our stories and, and our experiences and, and that we weren't in support of what had happened to the bus driver, you know, that was then printed in, in print media and, and circulated and it started to get, I guess, a little bit of momentum and we were then asked whether or not we would do another article and, you know, um, go on the record at this point in time because previously we had only been giving commentary off the record um, and myself and, and this, this friend of mine, you know, that was, like I said, in the accident, we both decided that we would go on the record um, and that we'd love to really express how we felt um, and show support for this driver um, that had also been in this accident with us and was also injured as well. And so we spoke to the journalist and we we did this interview with him. We both did it together. And um, he published that that interview that he had done with us. And, you know, not being from Melbourne, but um, it ended up being on the front cover of the, the Sun Herald. It was the front page of the Sun Herald. And... I think, you know, all of us that had got been going through this journey together, you know, obviously healing, you know, on our own paths, but also being a part of this was just massive. It was, you know, it, it, it felt like we had, you know, started to, you know, help this man. Um, and it just, it was such a good feeling when we had got that. <laughs> I remember the phone call um, from the journalist advising us, you know, that had it had made us, you know, his, it was also the journalist's um, first front page article, you know, so this was significant. This, you know, a lot of people, I think, related to what we were saying. Um, and again, it, it got a lot of momentum and it obviously um, must have, um, you know, got a few people sitting up straight because it brought forward, you know, his appeal date. And the other thing that I should say that was also going on in the background is that his family, you know, were rallying um, and, and, you know, talking to media. And again, it was really hard throughout this whole process because we were constantly hearing about this stuff that was going on with him as well. And we couldn't hide from it. You know, there, it was just so much that was going on and, you know, but yeah, so anyway, so that with that going on and also having us, you know, spoken to the media and, and you know, the friend of mine also did um, an actual televised interview with um, A Current Affair, which got aired on TV. And again, like I said, it's, it's picking up momentum. So yes, um, I believe that, you know, through, you know, being able to voice how we felt and share our opinions on that, in support of the driver as well as his family and friends that were rallying up on, on, on his behalf, you know, between all of us that we were able to, you know, get people to review when his appeal date was and that was brought forward. Mm, okay. And then what happened? So the appeal date came along and um, we, you know, obviously knew this particular date and when it was happening. And um, we, I remember like getting a phone call um, from the journalist saying that he had, you know, gone through this court appeal 
and that he was being released. And I just felt this weight fall off me and I felt really good. I felt so good that we had helped this man because I think it would have been very easy to have just distanced ourselves from it and done nothing. And, you know, I feel like we, I had, I guess I had so much compassion for this man um, and empathy because we all went through what was a horrific accident. We all went through it together, including him. And it just, that day, I, I it was just a very emotional day. And, um, you know, it, it, I remember just, I saw it on the news and I saw it in a few things on social media and I just felt so good. It felt so good because at this point in time, you know, you know, I think it was only last year, I think it was last year, you know, this has been a long journey um, and many, many years, but at this point in time, you know, I've healed myself. I've returned back to work. Um, you know, I had gone through, I guess, like a legal battle and kind of got some closure on that piece. And then I think the final part of the puzzle was what we did, you know, with helping this man, this bus driver, um, and I'll just never forget it. Like, it feels like... Um, it feels like it was one of the most powerful things that we can do in our society to speak up for people and represent people. And I'm glad that I could be a part of that. And I got closure from that. And I'll never forget this experience. Um, but I'm so much better for it. Wow. That is an amazing story. So I guess you've been through this horrific accident that just came out of the blue. You've had terrible injuries. You've been through post-traumatic stress. You've been through depression. Um, you've been through the process of counselling with a psychologist and also the whole legal process and then, and then another legal process with this guy, the driver's appeal and being kind of integral in his release. So, Harry, you've had this terrible accident that just came out of the blue, awful physical injuries, psychological injuries in the form of PTSD and depression, and yet even at the end of all that, you still kind of wanted to help this man who, who's ultimately the, the cause of all of this. So how do you get to that point and what, what, what advice would you give someone who finds themselves in a situation? Obviously yours is a very unique situation, but you know, as someone who's a victim of someone else's negligence um, and then they suffer bad injuries as a result of that, um, what advice would you give to someone? So look, it's, it's been a long and bloody hard journey to get to where I am today. You know, I have the, you know, the battle scars, you know, from the accident, you know, that will, you know, forever remind me about that horrific day. Um, but what I will say is that they no longer haunt me. And, I, you know, I certainly wear them with pride and I'm not ashamed of them. And, you know, am I the same person after this accident? No. I, you know, I've grown so much out of this experience and I'm so much better for it. Um, and, you know, I think and I reflect on the fact that I could have lost my life that day and 
I guess you could say it teaches us, you know, all the lesson to cherish every day, you know, to have compassion and be thankful for the people that we have in our lives. Um, you know, I couldn't have gone through this experience, you know, without the support and love, you know, from my colleagues, friends, family, and, and you know, in my case, most certainly my mum. And I hope that through sharing, you know, my story, um, that anyone that is suffering from PTSD or or depression knows that you're not alone and that you are loved. And if I could share some, you know, some further advice uh, reflecting on my own experience, I would say, you know, don't be afraid to speak up if if you feel you're suffering in silence or not coping. Um, You know, speak to somebody, you know, like a friend, family member or a colleague, and just know that it's okay um, to have down days and take some time out for you. Um, and finally, you know, I'd also say, you know, take some time to heal and remember that there is light at the end of the tunnel um, and that you will get through this. Thank you so much, Harry. Thank you so much for sharing <laughs> your story because it is an extraordinary story and um, I'm so glad that you came out of it and because you're just a beautiful person (laughs) so thank you so much and thank you for just letting me share my story it's 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 funny you know I was just thinking about um you know when we were going when when you invited me to be a part of this and it's just another piece that has just given me closure being able to share this story so I hope that um anybody else that's you know listening um you know Um, again, like I said, just knows that they are loved and that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And yeah, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to That Shit Show. If you like what you've heard, head to the Facebook page or the website for more information. It's thatshitshowpodcast.com. You'll find show notes and more episodes to download. Thanks so much for joining me.